The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. Hey, good morning, Refuge. Uh, With all those things that we see around the world and see in our own backyard, see in our own lives, all those things we can bring to God. And sometimes what that looks like is, is finding a space where we can simply wait with God, that we can be present with him. Um, wherever you come from, whether it's a challenging week or a, a good week, um, the book of John is for you. We are now 24 weeks into the book of John. Um, a lot of times we feel like like the gospel is far removed from our lives and and I think that can be on a day-to-day basis I think one day we can have a day where where maybe we feel like like God is closer than our own skin and then the next day we can feel like like we are very much alone in this world we can feel like we have no part in the story of the Bible. And, and that's exactly why John wrote this book. So that no matter where you come from or where you're going, you can know that the Son of God came with you in mind. And that's part of what we're going to talk about today as we look at John 12, 20 through 36. Um, oftentimes I'm asked... Often, you'd actually be very surprised how often I'm asked what it was like growing up with the Coffee Oasis. What it was like growing up with the Coffee Oasis, we started when I was 11 years old, uh, this, this ministry, initially called Hope in Christ Ministries, and then uh, turned into the Coffee Oasis. Uh, what it was like was having a home that was always open, um, as as my earliest memories are, are having a home and a table that was always filled. Um, it really never mattered uh, who it was that I met or what their story was. I knew that they were always welcome at our table. And, uh, and because of that, there was this constantly revolving door. I, I remember um, me just like doing homework or, or just sitting on the couch and people would come in and, and literally just go to the fridge and grab something and leave and and I, I didn't always know who they were, but it was, it was just a, a full home. Um, as I grew up, I learned that, um, that that isn't common everywhere. I learned that if I was invited over to someone's house and I brought with me five other people, that was a surprise. Where if that happened in my, in my home, it, it was normal. And so I had to let people know I was going to bring guests with me. Um, my, my roommates that I lived with for seven years were very gracious in helping me in this learning process of me constantly like bringing people home. Or, um, and that's, <clears throat> I think that's a, it's a beautiful thing to, to have an open home. Um, it's a beautiful thing to have boundaries too. Um, but as I think about our home and then I think about the perception of the Church of Jesus Christ, the Church of Jesus Christ is not always known as a safe place 
or an inviting place or a place that everyone is welcome into. Um, And that's ultimately what the story we are looking at today in the book of John deals with, is is the story of the gospel, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, is it really for all people or is it just for uh, a certain group of people? And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John 12. And we're going to see how Jesus, in the way only he can, tackles this tough issue. Um, So John 12, starting in verse 20, we're going to go to verse 36. It says, Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. And Philip went to Andrew. Then Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. And so, before we go on, I... I could not read this little narrative without it feeling really awkward. Because the Greeks come to Philip with a fairly simple request. Can we see Jesus? And Philip, somewhat awkwardly it seems like, leaves them, right? So it says, then Philip like went and he tells Andrew. And my guess is what the interaction was like, hey, do you think this is Okay. And Andrew apparently is also very nervous because he's like, let's go do this together. <laughs> right? And so Andrew and Philip <laughs> in turn go and talk to Jesus. Uh, what seems like a very simple request is, is not a simple request at all. And that's because, because what's involved is something that, that sort of betrays their their Jewishness in some ways, it seems like, um, to have Greeks come and talk to Jesus, a Jesus who they believe to be the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah. Oftentimes, the Greeks or Gentiles were seen as being really below human, like dogs, to Jewish people. Um, There was a space in the temple for them, but it was like an outer, outer court. Like, they couldn't even come in um, all the way. And so, So they were nervous, wondering if this request would really piss Jesus off. That that maybe they would say the wrong thing and Jesus would be like, don't you know that this is only for the Jews? And so they they come to Jesus together and Jesus says something that takes some unpacking because it isn't, yes, bring them in. That would be a very short story, um, but we have about... uh, 13 verses left. So it was not that simple. But what Jesus does is, is literally say through this simple question the, the whole entire reason that he came. And that's what we see later here in verse 27. It says, for this reason I came. So, so starting up here, and Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason 
I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd was there and heard it. It said it thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. And Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. This is really the key verse here. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The crowd spoke up. We have heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? Then Jesus told them, you are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before the darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they're going. Believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of the light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. So, the big idea we have here, if you're following along in your notes, and you'll see right there at the top, the big idea is that Jesus did come to earth so that all can come to him. Jesus came to earth so that all could come to him. And this is specifically in response to that question of the, the Greeks were asking, can we come to Jesus? Is everyone welcome in the presence of Jesus? And, and the big idea here, and it might seem... It's strange to me that for some of us, this doesn't seem like a big idea, that all can come. But, but for you, maybe if you grew up always having, maybe parents that said to you, Jesus loves you, come to Jesus, that might be a very different experience than the person their whole life who, who grew up feeling rejected or unwanted or unloved or feeling like they were so bad that, that Jesus really deep down does not want them, okay? But the big idea here is that Jesus came to earth to say that all could come to him. We have this in so many ways, right? Like, I came for the sick, I came for those who know their need. That's why we start every single Sunday service with the welcomer saying this. The Refuge Church is a church for all people, both those who love God and those who feel far away from him. We start every single Sunday that way. The Refuge Church is for all people, both those who love God and those who feel far away from God. And that's literally this, is that, that there are some people who, who love God. Maybe they grew up with a, a heart for God. And then other people who just feel really far away from God. When they hear the name of Jesus or the name of God, it's, it's like they have no part in him, right? And, and so this, this whole text is about how Jesus made a way for all people to come to him. And so the question then is, so how do we come to Jesus? And so just starting right there at the beginning with verse, um, verse 23, Jesus, it says, Jesus replied, uh, the hour has come or the time has come. And so the easiest way to think of this is, um, I don't know if, um, you know, some of you guys have, have had kids and, and there's that moment where, where uh, the woman says, it's time. 
right? And, and it's not like, maybe she's calm, and if she's calm, the guy's not calm. Like, one of them is not calm, right? And so it's like, it's time. They're like, it's time! They're like, it's time! It's time! It's time. You know, and they, they, they're, what they're communicating and just saying, it's time, is the baby is about to come, right? And that's literally what Jesus is saying here. It's that this, this long preparation has happened, and finally, it's time. What does he mean by that? And he explains it here. It's the time for the Son of Man to be glorified. How? He says, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies. And and I'm going to use an example of corn, and partly because the word here for wheat, just grain for wheat or corn. Um, (coughs) You guys really didn't need to know it, did you? It remains only a single seed, but if it dies, it produces many seeds. And so, so Jesus knew that their heart's desire is that he would just stay with them. But Jesus is explaining what his death will mean, that his death will be a death that multiplies life for all people. Um, and, and the incredible thing when he uses grain is this, is that I think, I want you to imagine that you, you have harvested corn, right? Sweet corn. Corn that's so sweet and delicious that you can just pull it off the stalk and eat it right away. For all you you know, farmers and little gardeners in here um, totally get me right now. So, so uh, you know, talking to you farmers, that a stalk of corn, it's a low-producing plant, right? And so you're only going to get two to four ears of corn per stalk. Yeah, for you guys who weren't farmers, I just really impressed you, right? So, so you're like, oh, wow, that's not a lot. Yeah, it's not a lot. So, but imagine this. So, so you, you have your, your stalks of corn, and so each one's very precious, okay? But you decide, because, because you're thinking, you're not just going to pull it off and eat it, even though everything in you wants to do that, right? Especially if you've watched What About Bob, and he's eating the corn, and he's like, you know, and he's like going for it, and he's like, is this corn hand shucked, right? And you watch that, and you want so badly just to participate in that, but you decide you're going to save one of those ears of corn, okay? Because you want more corn next year, right? That's thinking. That's planning. And so you take that one ear of corn, and every ear of corn, I did my research, has between 500 and 1,200 kernels on it, okay? Those kernels, mind-blowing, right, is a seed, okay? It can be. So let's imagine you have 800 kernels there, you save, you dry out, they become your seeds the next year. Okay, so the next year, you're going to plant those, those seeds, right? <clears throat> so you've, you've saved, we're going to take the two pieces of corn from your one stalk, you're going to plant 1,600 seeds. It's just two ears of corn, right? Okay, those two ears of corn, if you every year save the ears that come off of your stalks, this is what it looks like. In four years, in merely four years, guess how many, guess how many ears of corn you'll have. You will have, I did the math, okay? Don't worry, I, I'm going to help you out here. You will have 6,553,600,000,000 ears of corn. 
So all you'd have to do is times that number by two and then 800, okay? So, <laughs> so that's incredible, right? In four years, you're going to have uh, over six trillion seeds. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. And, and so the amazing thing is Jesus, Jesus is saying this, that, that see, you want me here with you, but, but something far better is going to happen. And, and what Jesus does is he helps us in two ways. It, it, first, he helps us by showing us how to follow him, this, follow this man who, who will die and by that produce life in us. Um, but he also shows us how challenging and troubling this fact is. Because um, I think sometimes we, we get caught up in the glorious reward or the fruitfulness of it. We get excited. Oh my gosh, in four years there'll be trillions of little seeds running around, right? But, but it's, it's troubling more than anything because in our lives here we hold very firmly to, to our idea that, for, our idea for this, this is what we have just to keep going. And we don't want to let go of it. So Jesus' first helpful thing is this, is that he shows us the, the great glory of God. He says, the time for the Son of Man to be glorified is this. The, the glory of God is most visible when all people are given an opportunity to come to Jesus. So that's what he's beginning to show us. And he shows us then that, that in his death, much fruitfulness will come. And we learn throughout, this is the incredible thing, and I want to share a couple verses with you before showing you what it means for you to come to Jesus. Because the first thing that happens for the Christian is that we have to somehow participate in this death of Jesus for the life of Jesus than to be produced in us. We have to somehow participate in the death of Jesus for the life of Jesus to be produced in us. But we, we see here, and there's some verses that I'm going to share, and you'll see them up here on the screen. The first is Galatians 2.20. That, that when Christ was died, we died with him. Okay, It says here, I've been crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So when Christ died, literally what it's saying is that we died then with him. So Christian, we can go to the next one. Um, Colossians 3.3, 3, for you died and your life is now hidden in, with Christ in God. The next one, uh, Romans 6, 4-5, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. And then lastly is this. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And so we're invited then to fully participate in his death so then the fruit and life can come from us. But I think the most challenging question we have to face is what does it actually look like? How do we actually come to Jesus? Um, you might have heard um, like the term come to Jesus moments. Have you ever heard that term? Come to Jesus, you know, come to Jesus moment. Um, so, I, I, um, 
I probably had a lot of come to Jesus moments in my life. But I remember this one time I was on, um, when I was running for WSU um, cross country, I got to fly all over the, the nation just running. And the problem with flying a lot is that you're bound to hit really bad turbulence at some point. And I hate turbulence. Like, I literally feel like I'm going to die. And I don't, I don't know if, like, you're that brave person, but I'm the person that's, like, just waiting for the oxygen mask to drop so I can, like, get serious help. Okay? So, um, <laughs> uh, we, we hit turbulence. And I remember, I remember the first, like, my response, other than waiting for the oxygen mask to drop, was, like, immediately start sharing the gospel with the person next to me. And I... It, and literally, why? Because I was like, it's a come to Jesus moment. <laughs> like, like, it's going down, and I want this guy coming with me. So, uh, I don't remember what happened. I don't remember if he heard me. He was probably freaking out, too. It was really bad turbulence. Trust me. Um, so, so what, what does that come to Jesus moment look like? What does it mean for us to come to Jesus, not just to have a moment where we're like, I'm coming, but to actually follow through on that and actually come to Jesus. And, and so there's two things we have here, that it, what it means to come to Jesus, and these are, are incredibly difficult things. And Jesus acknowledges that when he's done explaining them. And the first is this. In verse 15, it says, anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now this, this verse takes some, some help in understanding because it is really poorly translated. So um, it says anyone, literally this is how it should be translated, anyone who loves their soul will lose it. See, because the word there is psyche, not zoe, Okay. The word eternal life, that word life is actually Zoe for life. But literally how this should be translated is anyone who loves their soul will lose it while anyone who hates their soul in this world will keep it for eternal life. And and we know that because later, if you want to flip to the next slide really quick, Kristen. Thank you. It says, now my soul is troubled. That's the word psyche. Right? So they translate it later soul, but why didn't they translate it earlier soul is the question. And, and the reason why, if we can go back to the first one, the reason why I think is because we don't know what the soul is oftentimes. Right? How often has someone said soul to you and you're like, oh yeah, I'm with you. But really you have no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> okay. That was me until, so last Last November, we preached a sermon series called The Vital Signs, and we went through loving the God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And I got to preach on, on what it means to love God with all your soul. See, the soul is the place it was first talked about. This, you guys get a lot of info today. So the soul, it was first talked about in reference to animals, okay? Uh, nephish is what it is in Hebrew. But then we were also created soulish beings, but something uniquely happened to human beings, which is God breathed into them. The idea of inspiration, for God to breathe into something and for his life to fill it. And so that's what's unique about our lives, is we were created as soulish beings to be filled with the Spirit of God. So your soul is a place where the Spirit of God alone 
and uniquely was made to dwell in in your life. So your life is most fully lived when the Spirit of God resides in your soul. You are like a home built for God. Okay? That's the idea of a soul. And so what, what they're saying here is that anyone who does not despise their spiritual emptiness in this life, they're going to lose it. Right? If you so love the place, and let me, this is going to be an, a helpful illustration. So your car, you all probably drive vehicles of some sort. Um, I, I want you to imagine that you're driving along and you run out of gas, okay? And how many of you, when you run out of gas, you're like, sweet. You know, you're like, this is what I was made for. Like, I can't go anywhere, right? No, that's, that's not what your car was made for. Your car was made to be filled with gas so it could go places. But, but what, what is happening here is it says, okay, anyone who loves their current state of having their soul empty, not being filled by the Spirit of God, anyone who loves that state will find the end that their life has not been saved but has been lost. But the person who, right, Matthew 5, 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who realize that they are without the spirit of God, and they, they say, God, I am empty, fill me. Okay? That is the person who will then keep their life for eternity. Are you guys tracking with me? So it might be hard to understand when it says who loves their life in this world will lose it because you're like, there's a lot of things I love. I love fall. I love when the, the, the leaves come off the trees and I love the smell of those cinnamon pine cones when I walk out of Safeway, right? Like that's, you know, there's so many beautiful things in life to enjoy. So what does it mean to hate my life? And, and it's not saying your existence. It's saying what to, hate, what to hate is that we are a people who are souls are empty from the Spirit of God, which we were made to be indwelt by. Are you tracking with me? So the first thing it means to come to Jesus is to admit, God, I'm spiritually bankrupt. Okay? And so the second thing is this. It says, and whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. So if you're following along in your notes, the first one is you must hate your soul in this world. And the second point is this, to simply follow Jesus. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, um, a helpful parallel passage is Luke 9. Luke 9, starting in 23, it says this, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. And, and listen to this. This is why it's such a good parallel passage. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But that's not life, right? It's, it should be soul. Whoever wants to save their soul will lose it. But whoever loses their soul for me will save it. And this, listen to this. 25. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? See, this is why we're called to follow Jesus, because I want you to think about this. What if 
all of your dreams of success that didn't involve God, God said, I'm going to make that happen. Right? You set a, you're entrepreneurial, you build a business, whatever it is, you want to get married. Anything you, you want, God says yes. Like Midas, who wanted a golden touch. Anything you touch will happen. Will that fill your soul? No. So woe to the person who follows their own desires above following God. So what does it mean? What does it mean to, to come to Jesus? It means, one, to admit that your soul is empty and, and you need the Spirit of God to fill you, inspire you, breathe into you again, clean you out, fill you. And the second is then to follow God instead of simply following because what does it benefit a person if he gains the world and yet loses himself or herself? The interesting thing is this, if we want to go to the, the next slide, is, is Jesus says this. See, I think I would expect Jesus then to say, it's go time. But he says this, now my soul is troubled. So what Jesus says then is he goes, I am, and literally it says there's inner commotion, like like his soul is like a storm. So he says, my soul is now troubled, perplexed. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it's for this reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And so, remember, this is all in the context of his showing that the Greeks could come to Jesus. This is a very complex answer. And what Jesus is saying here is what he is asking you to do he himself is going through. We have a a high priest, Jesus, who can relate with us in every way and yet was without sin. And so when you feel tension in your heart to admit that you need the Spirit to fill you and lead you and guide you, Jesus himself had to go through that process of saying, Spirit, I need you to walk me through this next part of my life. He made himself dependent upon the Spirit. It's crazy. He also needed to follow the will of God instead of following his own will. Jesus had conflicting desires in him. To be without sin does not mean he had no desire for what's bad. It means he had conflicting desires, and yet he chose what was right. Wow. And so his soul is troubled. So when your soul is troubled... We can say, what did Jesus do? And what he did was these two things. He remembered the purpose for which he came, and he cried out to God. For this reason I came. I came, why? So that all people could come. He remembered the purpose, and guys, this will help you so much. When you are troubled, remembering the why, and answering that question and the second then is crying out to the Father, Father, glorify your name. And, he, he, and this is so good because then this glory, glory comes from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. And what does it mean by that? We talked about glory a couple weeks ago and is that you could see, savor, and celebrate God. And so Jesus is, God is the saying, everyone can see me crystal clear through you, Jesus. The way you're acting, people can see me through you. I've glorified it. This is amazing. So we're, we're just going to come down to here and then wrap up. So Jesus says, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. 
Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of the world will be driven out. And, and I want you to focus here right on um, verse 32. And when, and I, when I am lifted up from earth, I will draw all people to myself. Lifted up both means it's right the way he's going to die, which it says in 33. But also, um, that word lifted up means exalted. So it's like a king being celebrated by dying, right? When I am lifted up, when I'm exalted so that the glory of God will be made manifest in a way it's never been made manifest before, then I will draw all people to himself. And this is his final answer. For can the Greeks come to me? Yeah. I'm going to draw all people to myself, both those who love me and those who feel far away from me. And they will know they have a place with me if they come to me. If they come and they admit their spiritual neediness, and if they follow me before they follow their own desires. So, I think as we come to the end of this sermon, it might encourage us, but it also might trouble us. And I want you to know that's okay if it troubles you, because it troubled Jesus. Are you troubled? When was the last time you were troubled by something you read in the scripture? And instead of going easy route, you you dove into that. And you said, God, why? Why am I being troubled here? And I think we might be troubled by this. Um, is your life fruitful? Do you see it bearing fruit? Right? Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground, or a grain of corn falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. I think sometimes in our faith we feel very alone. We don't, we don't see our lives bearing fruit. And that, that is a troubling place to be. And the question is, what might need to die? And that is a troubling question. And it should trouble us. And I, I want to really leave you guys <clears throat> within that space. That space of saying, God, is there something in me that I'm still so holding on to? That I'm not hating my soul in this world, but I'm trying to still actualize my own plans of success, my own dreams. I just want those things so badly to come true. I just want you to bless me and say yes, whatever you want. Or does something need to die? Do one of those desires need to die? And so, so I can't experience that life that is breathed and inspired by God and bears much fruit. Is your life calling all people to come to Jesus? Or is it maybe just calling the people that you're comfortable with to come to Jesus? What does it look like to lay down our lives, to be filled by God, to go out and bear much fruit? Pray with me. Oh, Father... While we wrestle with these things and are troubled by these things, we know that, that you are over all things, that us who have come to you, we are already crucified with Christ so that we don't need to live for ourselves, but we can live through your spirit, by your power. That our lives can be beautiful, sacred offerings to you that are beautiful not because everything we want happens, but because we learn 
to wrap ourselves, to be filled by your purpose, to see you and desire that our souls will be breathed into and, and filled by you. And to know that that is the life that is not momentary, but is eternal. And we want to participate in that, and we pray that you will help us too. We pray these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.